There may be an upside to being a pack rat. So that I have an endless supply of not just for kids object lessons. All right. What do you want to be when you grow up? We want to grow up to be like Jesus. Now, it's been several weeks since we were together in Ephesians, so I want to remind you just the last verses that we covered before our text this evening. In Ephesians 4, 12 to 13, we're told that the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastor teachers are given by Christ to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he's talking about our growing up to where we're mature Christians, to where we actually um, think and act, behave more and more like Jesus. We all want to grow up to be like Jesus. And there's some good reasons for that, and there's a way that that happens. He goes on to say in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, as we look at this text, we're going to break this into two major ideas. We want to grow up in truth, that's doctrinal maturity, verses 14 and 15, and we want to grow up in love, that's practical maturity, also verse 15 and 16. What's really interesting about this passage is that because truth and love are so inseparable, actually verse 15 talks about both. It connects the two between the doctrinal maturity, growing up in truth, and the practical maturity, growing up in love. So, let's first talk about growing up in truth, doctrinal maturity. So, We want to no longer be children. Now, it's great to be a child. It's wonderful to be a child. In fact, Jesus taught us that we should let the little children, He let the little children come to Him, uh, for such is the kingdom of heaven. He said, unless you're humble like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Children tended to trust better, not be so cynical, and, and children were just more willing to humble and to follow than adults would be. And yet, there are other ways that we don't want to be like children. Uh, you know, it's, it, we all rejoice when a baby is born. We uh, love our kids the age they are, but if our kids stayed the size and age they are forever, sometimes we wish we could hold on and they would, it would last longer, but that would start to be a problem. If, if, you know, here you have a 90-year-old three-foot kid that still acts like a kid, thinks like a kid, talks like a kid, there's something really tragically wrong. It's great to be a kid when you're a kid, but we all understand that eventually we're going to grow up. So, we want to no longer be children, okay? And the word he uses, the word he uses is actually infants. So, we all love it when a baby is born, 
but we expect for that baby to thrive and to grow and eventually grow into adulthood. We don't want to remain children in terms of what we believe and what we understand. Tossed to and fro by the waves. So think about an ocean going this way and that. We, we live in an ocean of false ideas. The first century was no different. In the first century, there are all kinds of crazy ideas, all kinds of falsehoods, all kinds of religions. Um, and, you know, sometimes we think when we go back in the past that people were really dumb and they didn't know much, they were kind of illiterate, they couldn't read, and they weren't all that connected. Realize that in the first century, you, you probably had a higher literacy rate than we have today, or at least very close. It was a highly literate society. The Romans had built roads all over the place, so the empire was, was very much connected, which in the providence of God, those roads became the pathway for the gospel to go out. And so th there were ideas that were wrong ideas and lies that were very much available. And so from the earliest time, you know, not just when the apostles are teaching, but way back in the Old Testament, when, when the prophets are teaching God's people, there were those that were teaching false doctrine. Today has gotten no better. Obviously, we have now access to the whole world, almost every one of us, through the internet, and therefore we are exposed to all kinds of ideas. It's very much of a, a society that's a global society. So the waves are coming from every kind of direction, every wind of doctrine. And when we, when we think of doctrine, um, what that means is instruction. Don't let the word you know, scare you when you say something's doctrinal. What we mean is that it's instructional, it's teaching, it's something that we're receiving. This is every wind of doctrine, and you got the waves and wind of doctrine so coming from every kind of direction. Now, think for just a moment, you know, how are you going to protect yourself from every wind of doctrine? Part of it is you can't be listening to all those voices. So we've got to be really careful about what we're taking in as truth. Who is discipling you? Who's discipling your kids? Um, parents, let me just put in a plug. You know, don't, don't just give your kids unfettered access to internet. Don't, don't just sit them in front of a TV. Do you realize they're teaching false worldviews right in the cartoons today? I have three-year-olds, four-year-olds. Um, and what we're finding more and more is that kids have been indoctrinated, even in elementary school, with false worldviews that are coming from outside. We want to we protect our children against that because children are more vulnerable to that. They, they assume that if you know, it's easy to assume if somebody's teaching, if a teacher is teaching it, if, if it's on a news program, if it's on a cartoon, it, it must be true. It must be good. And you parents have to watch out for your kids. So we don't want to be fooled by all this. We don't want to be fooled by human, human cunning. And that, that term, human cunning, um, speaks, it's actually a word that comes from dice playing. So somebody that's gambling, but somebody using dice, playing with dice, but, but this is the idea of he's cheating while he's playing. So there are all kinds of people that peddle false doctrine, and they're cheating. They're, they're frauds. They're taking, they're doing uh, shell games. They're, they're moving things around. They're, they've got the card up their sleeve. They've got the loaded dice. They are cheating in the way that they are teaching and calling what is false, calling it true. And then craftiness 
speaks of somebody that's tricky, okay? They have all kinds of tricks. So these are kind of synonyms for the same kind of thing. This person's cheating. He, he's, um, he's, he's being dishonest. This person is, is tricky. He's clever. Um, some of the smartest people in the world are liars. Now, it's not smart to lie, but if you're going to lie, some people get really, really good at it. They're very clever. And then you have deceitful schemes. Deceitful schemes. And this speaks of methods that people use that are designed to lead you astray. In fact, that's what the idea of deception, uh, the word often used for deception in the Bible is the idea of leading someone astray. When you lead somebody astray, what do you do? You, they're on the right path, so you start on the right path, and then you just deviate a little bit, just a little bit. And then as they keep going off on this bypath, they get further and further and further away from the truth. Usually deception doesn't just smack you in the face as totally opposite direction, although there's, there are things like that. Those aren't the things that work on you. The things that work are where they take where you are and they just slide it a little bit sideways and then they start taking you off the path. So human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. So instead of that, Rather, speaking the truth in love. And I love this. This is actually right here. Let me just use a different color. I don't want to use the same color for the bats. We'll go with true blue. Okay? So, speaking the truth. This is all one word in the underlying text. It's, it literally is truthing. So, it's talking about being truthful, not just with what you say, but what you do. It's talking about being truthful, not just in your doctrine, but in your duty. And so, to do that, it has to be speaking the truth in love. Now, that doesn't just mean that you say things lovingly. And when we read that, we say, well, speaking the truth in love. Okay, say what you need to say, but just make sure you say it lovingly. This is bigger than that. This is truthing in love. Truth is not just academic facts. It's, it's truthful. It flows into an honesty of life, transparency. You know, a person can be deceptive without saying a word. He, he can be deceptive in his ways as much as with his words. So, you know, we talk about our, our mission. We talk about our mission is to proclaim and to display the gospel. The two have to go together. In fact, if a person flagrantly violates the gospel, either in doctrine or in practice, they can be teaching something contrary to the gospel, or they can be living totally contrary to the gospel. That's a church, that's something we confront them on, and if there's not repentance, you actually remove them from the church, because they're creating confusion about what the gospel actually is. If you get off in your doctrine, eventually you're going to throw off your duty, okay? I, I can't adopt a false doctrine, something that's not truthful, without it affecting the way that I live. Because the reality is that, that all, of us, all of us pretty much live in keeping with what we actually believe. Does that make sense? I mean, people... people People that are doing the wrong thing aren't doing the wrong thing because 
hey, I think this is the wrong thing. I want to do what destroys my life. I want to do what's going to bring me harm. And people don't think that. They're thinking this is actually good. They've been deceived. They, they, they believed a lie, and so now they're going to live it. So we have to protect the, the doctrine side. But it, it works the other direction as well. You get off your duty, and you will distort your doctrine. Sometimes people get trapped in some kind of sin, and, and they're called to repentance, and they won't turn away from the sin. It's got too big a hold on them. And so what they do is they adjust their doctrine so that it will fit their sin. Okay? So we see it go from both ways. And false teachers are liars in what they say, and or they are corrupt in how they live. This is what the New Testament teaches. Their lives are often characterized by impurity and pride and greediness, and, and certainly with a lack of love, because all those things are contrary to love. So here's what I want us to, to see, and this is so critical for us to understand about Christianity. Biblical truth produces love or shows itself in love. It is loving or it's not truthful. Remember how the apostles say, and Christ Himself says, if you want to sum up all the law and the prophets, it's love God, love your neighbor. So, if, if I'm not loving God, and if I'm not loving my neighbor, I'm not living according to the truth. The truth produces that kind of loving lifestyle. And biblical love is consistent with truth. Biblical love is truthful, or it's not love. What we tend to do is we, we tend to think, oh, well, there's truth over here, and that, that's hard, and that's cutting, and that's, that's you know, kind of austere, um, harsh, and then there's love. And so, we, we want to we soften that truth so that it's loving. That is not the biblical view. The biblical view is that genuine truth is loving, and genuine love is truthful. It's really important for us to keep those together. Now, as we live this way, this causes us, and we really have to, for growth, we have to use green, okay? So, we want to grow up. We want to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Um, think about how this all works together. As we grow up into Him who is the head, what we, what we're doing is we're, we're growing up in every way into the one who is the brains of the operation. He is the one who is in charge, who directs all the functions of the body. He is the ruler of the church body. If you go into the neuro, neurological floor of the hospital and you see people where the, the brain, something is wrong with, with the messaging between the brain and the rest of the body, the body does not function right, okay? The brain's design is to help the body function in all its ways. And there, there are systems where we actually think about what we're doing. The brain is telling us, what, oh, that's hot. I'm going to pull back my hand. I want to walk that direction so my feet start going. But the brain also dictates things like every beat of your heart and, and every time you take a breath. If the electrical impulse from the brain 
ends, then the function ends. It, it doesn't work right. And so Christ is, is the one who provides us the doctrine, the truth. He's the one that's revealed himself and what is true to us. He's the brains. And we all grow up. Notice he, he talks about we. It's not just individually that we're maturing. But, but he's talking about us, our maturing as a whole body of Christ, that we're all growing up together. We don't want, you know, I don't want just part of my body to grow up. I mean, that would be really weird if I grew up and I still had a voice like I did when I was a kid. That would be weird, okay? Or if maybe one leg became an adult leg and the other leg just stayed a little kid's leg. That's not going to work very well. We want to all grow up, all the members of the body growing up together so it functions according to what the head tells it to do. For us to live in love, we, we have to live in a way that's adhering to the truth that Christ has revealed. When we neglect biblical doctrine or practice, it turns the church into being gullible, an out-of-control sort of infant. And part of what you see um, in an effort to reach the world sometimes, the church says, you know what? We, we want to appeal to the world, so we're going to dumb it all down. We're, gonna, we're not going to teach doctrine. We're, 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 we're not going to focus on this. And what we do then is we make children of our whole congregation and make us vulnerable to the false teachers, not only false doctrine, but false living. So the second thing we want to do is to grow up in love, and that's practical maturity. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, notice once again the whole body. So all of us growing up together. Now, let's go ahead and flip to this. We've already talked about this a good bit, but this is our bridge. This verse ties together both the doctrinal and the practical. And then we want to work on the practical, the actually outliving of the truth, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, this idea of joined, this word here, maybe this is what made me think of fabric and upholstery and that kind of thing, because this idea of being something being sewn together. Um, it, it's also used, um, for instance, of a, an orchestra um, that's you're taking all these instruments, and they're orchestrated together. They're harmonizing together. You could, you could use it of the people in the congregation singing together with their parts where it all fits together. That's the idea. The whole body is joined. It's harmonizing. It's orchestrating. And it's held together. It's united. So th this, when we think about a body, this would be things like, like the... The, the ligaments and the joints, um, everything, um, the, the sinews, and I think you could go even further than that, the blood vessels, and the, 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 
I don't, I'm getting out of my field. I should have a nurse or a doctor come up here. Um, but all the, all the parts that connect the body so that, so that there's good connection between all the parts. That blood is being supplied to the whole body. Oxygen is being supplied to the whole body. Directions from the head are being supplied to the whole body. They're held together. They're united. And then held together, this word joint. When we say joint... Um, at least when, when I see that word, I think of particularly like a finger joint, okay? But, but think of joint as a, a joining place, um, a joining point, okay? So it, it could be it could be a place, it could be any of these things that connect the body together. Every joining place with which the body is supplied. And it uses the word equipped. So the body, for it to work properly, is equipped with all kinds of joining places. It's not just, you know, it's not just connected by the skin. When you got it outside, it helps keep the inside in. Um, it's, it's not joined just by bones and cartilage. It's joined in all kinds of ways so that it functions properly. And the word that Paul uses is a word that's used for, for outfitting maybe a large play with all the costumes and props that the play needs or, or supplying a huge army with all the weapons that it needs and all the food that it needs and everything it needs in order to, to carry out warfare. We've been equipped as the body of Christ with these joining places so that, that all, all the connections are there. Now, b- before we go any further, I just want you to think about, practically speaking, right now we're talking like a metaphor, a comparison to the body, but think about all the ways that you are joined to other believers. Now, the most profound way you're joined to other believers is by the Spirit of God Himself. Because the Spirit of God that gives you life in Jesus is the same Spirit of God that gives life to every other believer on the planet. And so, so you are joined with other believers at a profound level that's actually deeper than any other level and that, that is actually eternal by the Spirit of God Himself. But then there are those practical joining kinds of things. Think about the people with whom you have interaction, the opportunities you have, the common interests that you have, the, the common needs that you have. All those points of connection, all those points of joining um, God intends to use for the purpose of helping the whole body grow up. So it's, it's, not just, it's not just that, okay, do I have a place of service? And so here, here's what I serve in. Like I serve in the choir. I serve in kids' men. I serve in teaching Sunday school. I serve in preaching. Or I, it, my, my connection with the church body is not just a job. It's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's more than that. I have a living connection through the Spirit of God with every other brother and sister in Christ. And there's all kinds of ways that I'm going to interact. For instance, like you take a, a typical Sunday when we gather together, 
it, it doesn't matter whether you have an official responsibility. The reality is you have a living connection with those other people. First off, even the people that aren't believers yet are made in the image of God and, and, and need to see the love of God shown toward them as those that are, have, a, have dignity and toward whom we ought to show love. So, my job, if you will, think about it. Love God, love others. Every, every time I interact with a person, I've got a job to do. I, I have a connection to make. I have a blessing to give. And if I can live life this way, then, you know, it, it becomes way more than just getting a paycheck, way more than just rearing my kids. It, it becomes, it becomes a, a sense of being on mission all the time. And, and what's cool about this is that I don't have to be that old to live this way. Like, I could be five and six years old and still be thinking, I belong to Jesus, I love God, I love others, how can I show that? What are my opportunities to do that? Maybe with my brother that's in the same room as me, he's on the top bunk, or maybe he's on the bottom bunk and he kicks under, you know, kicks the top bunk all the time. Maybe it's my, my irritating sister, or, or maybe it's my classmate at school you know, there's all kinds of ways for me to be serving other people. And what happens is when, when each part, when each one of us individually is working properly, and, and this word is the word we get energy from, and we could also, it's the idea of operating, not like a doctor operates, but like a machine operates when it's functioning. Like you plug it in and it runs. You turn the key and the car starts, okay? When, when we are working properly, when we are energized, and God's the one that energizes us, when, when we are working with God's power flowing through us, what happens is it makes the body grow Okay. Now we're going to agriculture again. Here's the grow part. It's going to make the body grow. God's the one that gives growth. Growth comes from life being there. So that, he is kind of mixing his metaphors here, but it builds itself up in love. Although you can't do bodybuilding. Okay? So, just like you're constructing a building, or just like you're trying to make a body strong and effective, so that it's all working properly, what happens is it builds itself up in love. Because love, love is what the gospel produces in our hearts. Love is what drives us, motivates us to seek the good of the people around us. Love is what gets us from being fixated on just ourselves, self-centeredness, and turns that outward to where we're centered on other people and where we're living for God. And so we end up growing up. And if we want to know what that actually looks like, it looks like Jesus. Now, what's really interesting, thinking about this, uh, the words came to me from the Apostle Paul in the great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. 
He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, he's actually, in context, he's talking about a day coming that we only partly understand now, when all the things we don't understand, all the things that we're children about still, will become clear and we grow up. But part of the point that he's making is that, that love, love will still be how we live with one another. Love endures. There's lots of other things that are passing that, that are just temporal, but love lasts forever. We, we've learned in First John, God is love. This is the very character of God. We're going to grow up in love. We get a good distance here in this life if we're following Jesus, and it's complete when we're finally with him. So we want to grow up in truth. That's doctrinal maturity. And we want to grow up in love, practical maturity. And the two have to go together. It's impossible to have one without the other. True Christ-honoring growth of his body, the church, does not come through clever programs and brilliant innovations. It comes from the power of the Lord himself coursing through the members of his body in close contact with each other. Every saint equipped by teachers of God's word to serve in loving ministry till we all reach Christ-like maturity. And that day is coming. I guess ultimately we're not going to be fully mature till we actually see Jesus, but that's coming. That's the journey that we're on. And we get to enjoy the journey, thinking about that destination even now. So let me encourage you this week. Grow up to be like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and the clarity of it. Lord, help us to put it into practice this week. Uh, Lord, help us not to, to think that doctrinal truth is a small matter. Uh, Lord, we have a revealed religion and, and we have no business tampering with the truth. But Lord, help us not to think that that truth is just academic and just about verses we can quote and doctrines we can explain. Lord, help us to understand it, it has to translate into our lifestyle, a lifestyle characterized by love. God, help us live that way for the glory of Jesus who has rescued us. In his name we pray.